Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Thank you for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. We are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that seems to exist all around the globe. We invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, to the season premiere of season four of Fearscape Paranormal. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am joined, as always, by Dr. Time himself, Mr. Josh Rutledge. Sir, you don't age forwards or backwards. You are consistently stuck as a 40-something-year-old man. Well, actually, uh, uh, you know, people always tell me that I look young for my age, so... I didn't uh, say anything about the way you look. Oh, I just okay. said you you just have not aged backwards right. or forwards. You've yeah. just been like 43 for like 25 years. I'm stuck in a time loop. Yeah, you're just stuck in. You are your own personal Groundhog's Day, but yeah. it's not the day but around doesn't you that affect doesn't loop. Else. It's just your body. Your body just, just moves. Me. Yeah. yeah, it's only your body that loops. Yeah. Um, so obviously you guys have missed that. So welcome back. <laughs> we yeah. thank you guys so much for allowing us to take an amazing December off. Um, looks like JD uh, took the reins over <laughs> cryptid yeah. there. Yeah. Um, uh, congratulations on your promotion, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, he's he's not even here. He's still up at the South Pole. So he's still up at. The yeah, South Pole. he has to go up because you know how Admiral Bird had to get there. Yeah. Same way. So he had to go up to the North Pole to go down through the Earth to get to the South Pole. So that's not how Admiral Burt got there. But whatever. That's how JD got there. That's how the guy in the the Smoky God got there. Same thing. It's it's all Admiral Bird to me. (laughs) All Admiral Bird. He didn't. Anyways. Anyways. It was a great. It was a great month off. Uh, You know, spent a lot of time with family. I know you did as well. and uh, really appreciate you all kind of still sticking with us and, and catching in, you know, the bonus episodes that were dropped here and there. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really looking to hit 2022 strong. Uh, yeah, man. We got an amazing season this year. Lots of cool stuff. Josh, while you were here, you picked up the keys to your new home in Arizona. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. I got a baby coming in three months, man. Like 2022 is going to be amazing. JD's excited to be a godfather. Like, this is just like, absolutely amazing uh it's gonna be a really good time good year good fun we've got some amazing interviews coming down the road lots of fun topics and as we had promised all through december today's episode we're going to be talking about the rendlesham forest incident which we have been talking about for a while that we've been wanting to do so it's going to be an action-packed episode (laughs) often dubbed the uh you know great or Britain's Roswell. Roswell. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, got a couple few announcements before we get into that. Uh, first, uh, I wanted to say 
we actually don't have any creepy catch-up for being gone for a month. Uh, Josh, you even came out here, like I said, to get the keys and kind of get, you know, some things squared away with the new home before you guys move out this summer. And uh, we went out, did some UFO hunting, saw nothing. Well, yeah, except for donkeys. some wild donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were like driving along. I was like, oh, crap, it's wild donkeys. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's some wild ass right there. Yeah. And you were like, I don't know, it's some burrow. You know, I just, I don't know. No. And, no, you didn't. No, we don't. Um, they were we don't big. Pun, we don't pun like that when we're just, it's just the two of us. We only oh. pun when there's people to hear it. Oh, we don't. <laughs> we don't. We're just normal dudes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty interesting seeing some wild donkeys, but that's about as scary as it gets besides family. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of airplanes. Just, and again, I'll remark that like the last several times that we've gone out to look for stuff, especially myself with my brother here locally with the psionics like i see no satellites i don't know if like this time of year they're not flying over or or what but like, they just didn't want anyone to mistake them for santa claus yeah that's probably what it was that's probably what it was and uh yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's some crazy santa, santa crazy musk stuff. so santa, yeah. santa musk um but yeah yeah you know it's just crazy it's just just nothing happen and I don't you know I think a lot of it is just being stressed out over the holidays I yeah. had a ton of family come in my my brother from Belgium was here with his fiance which was absolutely fantastic I went to the Grand Canyon again and uh, had an amazing time but this time there was like half a foot of snow Yeah, <laughs> it was I like 65 pictures. degrees in Phoenix and it was zero degrees at the Grand yeah. Canyon and of course no snow at the bottom because it's a different temperature at the bottom of the Grand Canyon it's warmer right. down there so that was really really interesting um, but yeah like I so said it's it's warmer in the crack is that, is that what you're uh, much warmer in the crack in yeah. Uh, Kraken. That's a cryptid. Uh, but, uh, shout out to Santosh. He had his birthday on the 28th. We love him very much. Happy birthday, sir. He's uh, perpetually stuck at 28. So that's yeah. really interesting. He's going to be 20. He's been 28 a minute. So um, uh, anyways, uh, some other announcements, uh, just kind of the standard things is uh, make sure to check out all of our good stuff. Fearscape podcast, you know, dot com fearscapemedia.com uh check out the patreon uh patreon.com slash fearscape pod and buymeacoffee.com slash fearscape you can go and you know help us get uh like stuff together for this year i think like i said it's going to be a really fantastic year and we're rambling and somebody on youtube is going uh go ahead and just move to 22 27 to get straight to the topic so (laughs) so but you know um also just a reminder uh apple i think our two biggest uh, platforms that people listen to us on are Apple and Spotify, and mm-hmm. both now offer rate and review uh, opportunities. So please, if you're an Apple listener, a Spotify listener, even if you're not a listener on either one of those platforms, jump out there <laughs> and rate and review us. It really helps us out. Um, and it kind of helps with the uh, the Apple uh, and Spotify algorithm to kind of bump us up to the top and suggest us to people who may be looking for a show like what we have to offer yep absolutely uh and to our biggest announcement of the year you guys know that um we are huge supporters of the uh science and technology news organization the debrief we've had a number of folks from the debrief on there uh, on our show we've interviewed them uh we've become really good friends with them and well we have developed now a working relationship with them uh josh and i are going to be premiering here in about a week or so um or 
this week i forget because i can't remember where things get recorded and when things go out <laughs> because we haven't done this in a month but we are doing a brand new youtube show for the debrief called tech talk uh the debriefs tech talk starring josh and stefan uh where we're going to be reviewing technology because obviously yep. we are tech nerds and uh we love all that stuff uh so as always, you guys can go to thedebrief.org uh, to scope out any of their news articles and to get yourself prepared. Uh, we will be premiering that on their YouTube channel uh, as well. So just search The Debrief uh, yeah. on YouTube and uh, Tech Talk uh, will be coming and, soon. You know, we work a little bit of paranormal stuff into it, but really it's more around the tech and I'd say the more nerdy side <laughs> of uh of, of us you know we, oh yeah we start reviewing text and, and, and all that kind of stuff so, yeah. all the nerd stuff chris plain he's just like yay another nerd oh. <laughs> um that's exactly how he sounds yeah, that's exactly yeah. right yeah <laughs> you know it's, go back and listen to his episode that's what you'll hear exactly <laughs> so we are again so very very excited to be premiering tech talk uh, on the debrief um, so be on the lookout for that look for all the information from us as well as a shout out to Santosh again and our show Astral Stew um, we should have a new episode here uh, premiering soon as well so yep. uh, we you know we got a lot going on in 2022 and we ain't even touched the tip of the iceberg on the stuff that we've got planned for this year so yep. uh, guys be, a good year. be on the lookout it's going to be some fun stuff and now that we're done blowing sunshine up our own some burrows <laughs> uh, let's go Go ahead and get moving quickly into our segments so we can move to our topic this week, which is the Rendlesham Forest incident. So let's get cracking with Psychic Word of the Week. And now, the Psychic Word of the Week. Psychic Word of the Week. How I have missed you, June G. Blesser. She's like, yeah, that's why you had no creepy ketchup because you ain't talked about me in a yeah, month really. and I ain't been here to tickle your neck and tap on your shoulder while you're trying to watch TV. So, because it ain't my wife giving me a head scratch. Nope. It's Juju Bletzer. She's like <laughs> ghost, man. Like, it's Patrick yeah. Swayze. She's the, she's, she's the Patrick Swayze in my life. Uh, so instead of her helping you make a clay pot, she's helping you do a podcast. Yes, yes, a clay podcast. <laughs> That's <laughs> what she's doing. Um, but anyway, so you, I had you pick a number between 1 and 700, because that's that's the main section of the uh, Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary, of course, which I didn't even say. Gosh, it's been forever, Josh. The Psychic Word of the Week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary Dr. from Dr. June G. Bletzer. Rest in peace, honey bear. Um, you had me move to page 660 six the devil um and the first word uh that grabbed my image here uh was a phrase which was uh veridical hallucination veridical okay. hallucination veridical hallucination and it says in parentheses edgar mitchell uh, and then it goes on to say a visual or auditory psychic experience similar to sense perception, but without sensory stimulation or without being in the range of sensory awareness that corresponds to a real event taking place. Second uh, uh, definition here says the reception of uncontrolled psychic information that corresponds to actual facts. I wonder why it has Edward Mitchell in Perrins. Well, I'm probably guessing he's probably the dude. Are you looking him up? Yeah. I know Edgar Winter's band. 
that's a different dude though. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of Edward Mitchells, so I don't know. Uh, uh, I would put in uh, veridical hallucination. So V E R I D I C A L um, hallucination, and then Edgar Mitchell. So he may have been the person that coined that term. Because um, also next to that, it is also in parentheses. It says laboratory. So. Um, but above it is veridical dream, which basically says a psychic experience during sleep that later becomes a real event. So a psychic dream. Um, so this is kind of similar. I, I, a veridical hallucination is essentially another word for seeing a vision that comes to pass later on, right? So, so, so there's actually quite a bit of information to be found about veridical hallucinations if you were to look it up. So. Uh, I encourage anybody listening to do so. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we may have to cover that sometime. That could, or yeah. on uh, maybe even on Astral Stew, that could be fun. That could be fun. We could all have a vertical hallucination. Yeah, uh, we uh, we can have a hallucination um, <laughs> with Santosh. <laughs> He'll put us in that psychic sleep, dude. Next thing you know, we're cleaning his house. It's crazy. I, I feel uh, like if he was a wrestler, that would be a signature move. The psychic it, sleep. It would be the psychic sleeper hold. Oh my gosh! Oh, Santosh, <laughs> I know you're listening. You Got to work on the psychic sleeper hold. <laughs> would be amazing uh but let's go ahead and move on uh because i want to get of course to our topic josh um but i want to get to the next topic or i mean the next segment which is spooky news all right let me tell you there was quite a bit of spooky news uh over december which is why we even did a full spooky news episode um for one of our bonus episodes but uh this piece of information came out uh and of course this uh really kind of in a sense involves keith h because you know uh well i'll get to that so uh this is all over a number of different news outlets i grabbed the guardian.com just because I like the guardian Uh, and the headline reads the boy whose case inspired the exorcist is named by a U.S. magazine. Uh, And so, of course, you know, the exorcism of Roland Doe is uh, we had Keith age on. Uh, He had been out there. He had spoken to a number of the priests, uh, things like that. Um, And they had also confirmed with him. Uh, his 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 contacts had confirmed this information. And so when it was brought to Keith, he's like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Keith did know about this, um, but he kind of kept it close too for uh, anonymity's sake. Um, but here's what this says here. Uh, the boy whose case inspired the portrayal of a demon possessed child in the horror classic Exorcist has been named. Uh, the a U.S. magazine named the then 14 year old boy previously known as Roland Doe, um, who underwent these exorcisms in Maryland and Missouri in 1949. His name is actually Ronald Edwin Hunkler, uh, and he died last year, a month before his 86th birthday after suffering a stroke at his home in Marriott'sville, Maryland. So already this kind of makes sense that this information has come out now that he's passed so that he because he has kept under the radar, which is pretty rare these days. So good on him. But here's what's interesting, Josh, and this is how it ties into what we love even more so. Uh, Hunkler was actually in his adult life, a NASA engineer whose work contributed to the Apollo space missions of the 1960s, and he patented a technology that helped space shuttle panels withstand extreme heat. Wow. 
Yeah, totally crazy, man. Uh, one of his companions, a 29-year-old woman who was asked to not be named, told the New York Post that Hunkler was always on edge about his NASA colleagues discovering that he was the inspiration for the exorcist. Mm. Uh, she said, on Halloween, we always left the house because he figured someone would come to his residence and figure out who he was and know where he lived and not let him have any peace. He, even though being in hiding, had a terrible life because he worried, 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 she added. Hunkler eventually retired from NASA in 2001 after working for the agency for 40 years. Wow. 40 years, man. You know, um, that, that's, you know, the, the, the uh, I, I, unfortunately, I think the age of getting with a company and staying with a company until they retire has, has kind of gone away, but you know, kudos to all the people who have done that in their lifetime, right? Then that found a company who really believed in it and then stuck with them through thick and thin. So, yeah. Uh, the last bit of information here says that shortly before Ronald's death, uh, a Catholic priest showed up at his home unexpectedly to perform last rites, said his companion. Uh, she said, I have no idea how the priest knew to come, but he got Ron to heaven. Ron's in heaven and he's with God now, she told the New York Post. So very, very cool. I'm glad that he, you know, even though he feels like he didn't have peace, um, he did feel uh, more peace than he realized because he he didn't yeah. get disturbed. People didn't yeah. find out, um, though. Roland and Ronald, a little too close for me. I think you could have picked a better name like <laughs> Frank. Well, but the last name. I mean, yeah, come on. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, but, but yeah. And, and I'll just say kudos to. Uh, Keith and others who knew mm-hmm. his true identity, right? But uh, but kept it a secret. I yeah, mean, that that I mean, I always have a lot of respect for Keith Age, um, but there's another reason. I mean, we're his, you know, he's our mentor, and he still kept that close to his chest. And it, yeah, I respect the hell out of that. So kudos to you, Keith, and uh, rest in peace, Ronald. Let's go ahead and move on to our final segment, which is our Sasquatch sighting of the week. One of our newest segments. taking a look at a Sasquatch sighting for the week. Um, and uh, where are you pulling it from and what do you got? Yep. So this comes from the uh, BFRO or the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. That's BFRO.net if you want to go check them out. <clears throat> They're kind of like a MUFON. You can join them and be a member. And they even have a lot of non-member stuff that you can mm-hmm. be involved in. They go out and do hunts and all that kind of stuff and you can go out with them. It's pretty cool. Anyways, so this actually happened in March of 2021. Hard to believe. It. I almost said March of last year because it was <laughs> it last was. year. So you almost said it, but you were correct. Yeah. <laughs> you were so, correct. Um, in, uh, in the good old state of Florida, in um, Sarasota County. So we're so, getting close to like skunk ape area and then things yeah, like that. Yeah. So... Um, so again, on March 27, 2021, between the hours of approximately 8 to 8.30 a.m., um, the uh, uh, this, uh, individual who saw said he was preparing breakfast with his wife. 
uh, the kitchen window or the kitchen has a window that looks across their backyard. When he turned to ask his wife a question, movement outside the window caught his eye. He saw a dark bipedal figure walk from a group of trees toward a wooded area before disappearing from his line of sight. He asked his wife if she had seen that just as his eight-year-old granddaughter came running from the dining room yelling, Grandpa, did you see that? She had seen the figure as well from the back sliding glass door. She described it as big. He admits that he at first wondered what his neighbor was wearing, but realized it was taller than his six foot four neighbor. He went on to describe that the figure was about 50 feet away with a slim build, but tall. It was walking west to east as they were looking north out the windows. Um, This is from the investigator. It says the family is very credible as to what happened that morning. It was obviously something they had never expected to see or experience. When researching this area, it is not necessarily an area that one would expect to have this sort of activity. However, the homes are spaced out on one acre or more lots, and some are heavily wooded. So um, I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, we I I used to live in a house uh, here in Kentucky that was could be described similarly, right? Mm -hmm. Spaced out houses with some of them wooded. And oftentimes in our backyards, we heard, you know, in my backyard, we heard what sounded like knocks and things coming from the wooded area. So um, that's that's a noise I made with my mouth. (laughs) No, come on. It was, but um, you know, it just, it was, we we would also hear like the really heavy coyotes, you know, at night Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they would get quiet and then you'd hear a knock off in the distance. So, Oh yeah. I've been out there. Hearing them coyotes shut up all of a sudden, man. Yeah. Ooh, it's already creepy because them coyotes are coming and they just, I don't know. Well, There's something then, spooky about it, man. And it inevitably happens whenever I'm like doing an Estes. And so you're just almost every there. time. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to disturb him, but I'd like to run. Um, so anyways, yeah, very you know, cool. I, you know, yeah. uh, you, you know, you said he was bigger than six, five, six, four, which is I'm six, five. So he's bigger than me, which is skinny. So immediately I just thought of a hairy Larry bird. Like <laughs> that's what I see, but like blonde colored, like blonde, blonde. <laughs> like a Larry I mean, bird's hair. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also interesting. A lot of times Sasquatch and all and skunk ape, and all, they're oftentimes described as very dark fur, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, are there blonde Sasquatch? I bet you there are. I mean, there's so many different, um, like, subspecies of them. So, who yeah, knows? I mean, it's, it's not like we've really done a huge... Yeah. I mean, where's Ken Gerhard when you need him? Where's my cousin right. at? <laughs> um, you know, also, uh, when Sasquatch age, does their fur turn gray? Dude, man, I, well, I don't know, because not all animals first turn gray, so... No, but, I like, know. I, you know, I had a dog uh, that was tricolor, and uh, the um, black parts on his face kind of got gray. Oh, yeah, my dog Kenobi's aged. got some gray coming in, so... Yeah, so uh, but I ain't never seen a gray giraffe. No, I don't... Have you ever seen a gray bear? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've seen a silverback monkey, but I ain't never seen a... <laughs> I mean... I saw a horse fly. I even saw saw a house fly, but I never seen an elephant fly. So I don't know. Yeah. So, anyways, all good <laughs> questions for uh, for our friends in West Virginia to. That's right. To yeah, Joe Purdue, where you got? Where you at? Tell me, <laughs> tell me about them blonde my my native cousins. 
the blonde Sasquatch. Um, the Sassafras Scots. Saffron Squatch. Jeez. Jeez, what are you talking about? I don't know. It's Junji Bletsy. She's trying to like yeah. Patrick Swayze me right now. Um, but anyways, all right, Josh, I appreciate that. Uh, also, anything Bigfoot just makes me want to give a shout out to our boy, Wayne. Uh, yeah. We still miss you. Rest in peace, brother, as well. Um, anyways, let's go ahead and uh, take a very quick break and come right back for the Rendlesham Forest Incident. Hello, dear friends. I'm your head, Mr. Lord Stephen Gearhart. And I am your co-mister, the man with no name, Lance Wayne. And together we are the misters of the... the, Let's try it again. The misters of the... the, 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 Lance! The misters of the dark! Don't shut up! Whatever, join us wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or go to mistersofthedark.com where we'll be discussing all things horror from films and books to everything in betweensies. We also have the occasional victim. (laughs) I mean, guest. (laughs) Only on the Fearscape Mania Network. (laughs) Shut up, Lance. I always get the last laugh. <laughs> and we're back thank you guys so much for sticking around as you do uh season four is kicking off with uh one of the most famous ufo stories uh in modern times uh and um, i think all of these folks are still alive um, yeah. So it's kind of becoming um, the new Roswell, whereas pretty much everyone in Roswell's dead, like yeah. that was associated with that. But we still have these folks to talk to, and they're still showing up at conferences and books and all that jazz. So it's still still a big thing, and we have like audio, which is really yeah, no, um, you know, it, it'd be interesting, you know, talk about the Roswell stuff that. That show that was on uh, that came out last year that our friend uh, Jason McClellan was a part of mm-hmm. that kind of broke down the Roswell case, you know, and, and mm-hmm. applied, um, um, you know, AI to the to the audio testimony and stuff yeah. like that to see if they were lying. And so it would be interesting if somebody were to do the same thing with a lot of the testimony in this case. Uh, for me, it, it gave the Roswell case more uh, credibility to hear that an AI program that is engineered to detect liars yeah. thought that most of the testimony was telling the truth. So yeah, be interesting. Uh, so, yeah. so anyways, yeah. What do you got here, Josh, for so, blanket huggers out there for the Rendlesham forest, the Rendlesham forest, incident. which is fun. So, Cause uh, yeah, here it is in Britain, but it deals with Americans. We just can't keep our noses out of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, so Rendlesham Forest is located in so- uh, Suffolk, England, uh, and the events that took place there happened um, in December of 1980. Uh, it involves uh, two main Air Force bases, um, the um, uh, Bentwaters and uh, Woodbridge. And it, it's interesting that uh, both of these uh, Air Force bases, at the time that this took place, were actually uh, being operated by the United States Air Force, even though they originally were constructed 
to be RAF, Royal Air Force mm -hmm. bases during uh, World War II. Um, but uh, yeah, so they were you know constructed originally in 1943. I'm just giving a little bit of information here about the bases. Um, but during the Cold War, the United States Air Force took over so that they could have kind of a presence in Europe uh, for all the stuff that was kind of going on with the Cold War. Um, they had a couple of uh, tactical fighter squadrons and things like that. Um, it was shut down for a little while, and then now it's actually back open again since 2006 as a Ministry of Defense uh, uh, bases, uh, so no longer underneath U.S. Air Force control, now back in uh, Ministry of Defense control. Just passing hands back and forth. <laughs> Next year, it's going to the Irish. The Irish get it yeah. for a year. Everybody just gets it's like a like a redheaded stepchild. No offense uh, to the Irish there, uh, yeah. but well, you know, I'm like a, it, I'm a redheaded stepchild. So <laughs> goes, this is true. You are. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it just gets passed back and forth, right? So, and yeah. in like ten years, uh, it'll go come back to us. Now, um, there are a couple of claims that I I um wanted to talk about a couple of things here that are some claims about uh the area so uh in a lot of in a lot of uh places that i found that um you know i listen to some podcasts i watch some youtube shows i even watch the the basement um show that uh you know is hosted i can't remember the gentleman's name who hosted but oftentimes nick pope was on it and in fact mm -hmm. in this case nick pope was on and they didn't really talk about these things that are that are kind of claimed to have happened in the area. So um, one of the uh, claims that's kind of made uh, by uh, one of the witnesses for the Rendlesham case is that um, the U.S. Air Force had a massive stockpile of nuclear weapons at RAF Bentwaters. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of being kept hush-hush, and it was actually against the treaty that they had with the British. Yeah. And so, which is why it didn't get talked about a whole lot. Yeah, so... <laughs> um, uh, and that uh, recently, you know, as of uh, the 1988 uh, date, the CIA had issued a report that the Soviet military were mobilizing for an invasion um, at that point in time. Um, and one of the things that, that this individual claims is that due to the increase in tensions... That that's actually what brought on the sightings that we're about to talk about mm. and it kind of gets into that whole you know the ufo people at that time were really interested in all of our nuclear sites yep and uh we know you know flipping back to roswell and things like that that our biggest spike in ufo cases came after the um igniting of the um multiple atom bombs yeah. so yeah. it's so. very interesting here we are and we hear this a lot not just in rendlesham but in other ufo cases on military bases that they have shut down these areas or completely um made a, a nuclear device inert yeah like craziness um, well, and, and so, you know, some of the other stuff that's happened around these bases. So there's uh, a, a lighthouse that's not too far away called the Orfordness Lighthouse. Um, and the surrounding bil buildings uh, were once used by the NSA for experience uh, in radar, radar mm -hmm. research, um, to, in, in an effort to monitor all launches made by the Soviets and possibly the Chinese. Um the site was shut down in 1973. Also, uh, Orford Ness was a test firing range 
and it was used for the development of atomic weapons. Uh, in some of the military buildings on site, there are still warnings, uh, warning signs posted on site that there may be um, residual uh, debris or things that are around um, the area, and so to use caution. So That's crazy. <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, and then the Rendlesham incident is actually not the first UFO sighting uh, in the area. Say what? Yep. So in that same area, um, in 1956, what's known as the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident, um, radar uh, picked up two high-speed objects that were performing uh, really sharp turn maneuvers, things like that. So they launched two jet interceptors, and the pilots were able to track the objects and witness them performing a brief series of maneuvers before disappearing. Wow. So all that to be said is is basically the, the case here is not what I've always heard reported is the Rendlesham incident kind of on its own, but never really taking it into account all these different kind of um, details that predate or were happening, you know, uh, in this at the same time, you know, in the area. So now let's jump into what Rendlesham incident actually was. Okay. All yeah. of that. With all that stuff now floating around in your in your head. In, in me noggin. So, the first night, um, around 0300, um, on the 26th December 1980, um, a security patrol near the east gate of RAF Woodbridge saw lights descending into nearby Rendlesham Forest. Um, the servicemen initially thought it was a downed aircraft, but upon entering the forest to investigate, they saw um, what they described as a glowing object, metallic in appearance, with colored lights. As they attempted to approach the object, it appeared to move through the trees, and, and this is a quote, the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. Uh, one of the servicemen, uh, Sergeant Jim Penniston, um, also in his report claimed that he had a, saw, encountered a craft of unknown origin while in the forest. Um, so shortly after 0400, local police were called out to the scene, but reported that the only lights they could see were those from the Orford Nest Lighthouse, some miles away on the coast. Mm. Um so the um, following day, uh, they went out to investigate the area, um, and uh, they actually found three small impressions on the ground in a triangular pattern, as well as burn marks and broken branches on nearby trees. At uh, it, it, uh, 1030 local time, uh, local police were called out again to see the impressions. Uh, local police apparently thought they could have been made by an animal. Uh, but we're going to listen here in just a few minutes to what's been known as what's been called the halt tape. Um, because one of the main um, uh, witnesses was Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt. And when he went out and did his investigation on the second day um, to do some radiation detections and 
um, just to do a, a good survey of the area. Um, he found that uh, some very interesting information as it relates to that kind of detail. So we're going to take just a minute here and listen to a couple of recordings uh, from the halt tape. So, um, and this halt tape is, is, is what exactly? Yeah. So this is, so again, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, uh, really the um, senior personnel on site, basically. Um, he took his personal recorder out into the field and recorded everything that transpired. Um, there's some interesting things that you'll hear uh, in the recording uh, that we'll talk about here in just a minute. You know, we'll kind of play a little bit. We'll talk a little bit. We'll play a little bit and uh, and come back and, and fill you all in on, on some things that uh, you may not have picked up on in the recording. So. Yeah, 
here too. Off the what? Seven. What? Just jumped it up to what? Seven tenths here. Seven tenths right there in the center? Uh-huh. We found a small blast, what looks like a blasted or scrubbed up area here. We're getting very positive readings. Let's see, is that near the center? Yes, it is. This is what, what we would assume would be the dead center. Just think about more as we go along the whole area here now. Up to seven tenths. Or seven. Seven units, let's call it on the point five scale. Yeah, so. Um, Basically, what you heard there is they were doing Geiger counter sweeps uh, kind of around the area. Uh, there's, again, the three indentations um, that are in the ground. They did a Geiger counter sweep for each indentation and then kind of moved to the center of or the perceived center of the space um, to kind of, you know, listen to or, 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 you know, see how many clicks or see what the reading is um, from the Geiger counter in that space. And, and what you heard there was... Um, that the uh, um, it did spike up to yeah. you know, seven tenths. I, I've never read a Geiger counter before, but um, you know they sounded like that was uh, in their response that that was a uh, a pretty big spike. And um, there's actually a um, a uh, defense intelligence staff document that exists that uh, basically says you know hey. Um, you know, the background radioactivity uh, for the area uh, should be around, you know, 0.1 um, milo, and I can never say the word, milo rendegrins or something like that. Um, and then, you know, so it's 0.1 per hour. So the readings that they were getting of, you know, 0.7 um, and, you know, you know 0.4, 0.5, uh, those were higher than the background radiation. So there, it wasn't, you know, dangerous levels of radiation, but it was an increase in radiation than what was uh, normal for the area. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you could absolutely hear the the tone of their voices being wowed by it. They're, they're, there's a bit of awe because they don't really know what they're finding, and it's not like anything they had seen before. Uh, and, and, you know, to see readings like that, it, I'm surprised they weren't frightened because, you know, we know what guy yeah. counters do. And so if I were to see a reading right. that high, I would be like, I need lead now <laughs> to get a lead. Well, suit. yeah. And, you know, if it's uh, if that's kind of the normal reading in the area, then you could even argue that, you know, even what I said about earlier around them testing or or building nuclear material, uh, you know, earlier on site mm -hmm. you know those were the average reading even with that have been the case so um you know i don't think that we could read into that and say that um well the, the reason it's a spike is because they were testing nuclear material you know 20 years ago yeah. uh, because that's the normal reading for the area so is the right point. and that that's the beauty of these recordings uh, is that we do have evidence that this indeed did take place in the way that they said it took place. Right. Yep. You know, so because we have the audio evidence here that they did, you know, have to check this thing out. So uh, that on its own already uh, is something that's unidentified. Doesn't necessarily mean flying object or anything yet, but you know, at no. least we've got some unidentified things in this area 
uh, that are t- crazy to me. <laughs> Making animals yeah. get frenzied, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Animals <laughs> getting crazy must be a party going on. Yep. So, um, so I'm going to play another little, another little excerpt here about uh, two and a half minutes or so. Um, and this is just, again, some more site scans, but uh, uh, more detailed information around what they're seeing uh, you know, on site for you to kind of uh, paint that mental picture. Yeah, so um, 
<laughs> um, a couple of things there that I... A <laughs> couple of things. Yeah, a few things. <laughs> uh, I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, if you heard there, um, getting, again, a spike, of a uh, Geiger counter spike up to 0.4 uh, on the front of the tree that was kind of facing the landing site, but on the back of the tree, there's nothing. Yeah. It reminds me of... Um... Oh, uh, it was it was done in like the first or second episode of Project Blue Book where they uh, decided it was just an owl. Um, oh, you're talking about the uh, yeah, it, it's the one where they it's supposedly the the monster in the woods or in the clearing and they yeah the swamp, it's an owl swamp or monster some, or something yeah yeah um, uh, uh, crap now it's gonna bother me that I, I know but anyways <laughs> go ahead I like keep wanting to be like Flatwoods. Is it the that, that it's what it is. Flatwoods monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I kept yeah. wanting to get it. I yeah. kept getting it mixed up with the West Virginia one. Um, but yeah, the Flatwoods monster, um, where that was the same thing. There was that. There was that massive ring of like burnt and crushed things. Yeah. But yet the other sides of the trees completely untouched. Right. Yeah. So uh, a couple other things to note. Um, so there, you hear him on there on on the tape again. The main person speaking is the uh, Colonel uh, uh, Charles Halt. Uh, but you heard him there uh, say, take a picture. This is going to be your first picture. Yeah. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a picture from the area that anybody's uncovered in any documentation. No, because, you know, that stuff was burned right away. I mean, if it was, I mean, truth be told, and I know we didn't really touch on this yet, but if it wasn't for Halt's memo, like, I don't even think any of this would have come to light. Yeah, that's true. You know, but it, it's his memo that he brought that. But I think by that point, by the time the memo had already come out, stuff was already yeah. mixed. Um, and then the other thing is you you hear them ask for um, a collection tube to, to take samples from the area. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, what, what was found of those samples and where is that report? Yeah. And where is it now? Is it in that right. warehouse in Indiana Jones? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Did Bob area Lazar 51. get to hang out with it? Like, yeah. where, where is it? So, um, so yeah, so that was uh, really interesting. Again, just for me, painting kind of a mental picture of the area and what they're looking for. And again, like you described there for that episode of uh, Project Blue Book and the Flatwoods Monster, it does very feel like it's, there's this, this kind of open area where all this stuff is uh, concentrated. And then once you get beyond it, there's just really nothing else, you know, kind of going on. Yeah. Um, so I've got another little clip here to play. Uh, this is um, they they finally are able to get um, one of the lidar units out because uh, there's if you remember in the very first recording we listened to um, had some mechanical issues for mm-hmm. some reason and so they had to go <laughs> for some back to base and get another one. So uh, these the next little clip here is uh, some investigation of the indentations uh, with that uh, secondary piece of equipment. Okay, stop, stop. Light on. Hey, this is Erie. This is strange. Here, someone want to look at the spots in the ground? Whoops, what you know? We're walking all over the park here, sir. Okay, let's, let's step back and not walk all over Come back here, somebody put a beam on them. You're going to have to be back 10 or 15 feet. See it? Okay, lights off. What do you think about the spot? 
Back here at the first spot. Okay, that's what we'd call uh, spot number three. Let's go to the back corner and get spot number one. Spot number one. Here's spot number one right here. Spot number one right here. Do you need some light? There it is right there. You focused? Okay. Look at out spot number one through the starlight scope. Slight increase in light at spot number one. Let's go look at spot number two. Spot number two is right over here. Right here. See it? Okay, get focused on it. Tell me when. Okay. Lights on. Let's see what we get on it. Just a slight increase? Try to center. Well, it really isn't centered. It's slightly off center. It's right there. Okay. I'm going to get your reading on it right there. Okay. Tell me when you're ready. Okay. Lights out. This is the center spot we're looking at now. Almost the center. Slight increase there. This is slightly off center toward the uh, one two side. It's a some type of an abrasion or something in the ground where the pine needles are all pushed back more. We get a high radiac or high uh, reading about uh, deflection of uh, two to three, maybe four, depending on the point on it. Yes. You so there's a positive after effect? Yes, there is definitely. That's on the center spot. There is an after effect. What does that mean? It means when the lights are turned off, once we are focused in, it'll allow time for the eyes to adjust. We are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot, as, uh, which will show up on a stage. Or some form of energy. It's hardly heat at this stage of the game. All right. So, um, again, and, you know, they're looking at the spots, and basically what they're doing is, you know, they're they're finding the spot with the scope, uh, with their flashlights on, and you hear them say, okay, lights out, and they let the lights go out, let their everything adjust, and after they do so, they're getting, they are picking up, um, some sort of signature left behind mm-hmm. uh, on the on the equipment. So, um, you know, what's really interesting is everything that we've just heard uh, over the last uh, few minutes. Um, the skeptics have uh, said it's either um, a meteor fragment that landed in the area, and that's what caused this. Although there was apparently no meteor fragments uh right. you know captured and recorded um uh, or there was uh some sort of atmospheric condition that caused it um uh, but but you know basically everything is anything except the possibility of it uh being a ufo or or, or uh of extra um extra human uh origin let's say yeah um and what's really interesting too is you know this is december of 1980 so it's england it's cold right you know and you're finding heat signatures that aren't animals yeah like i mean if you you know if you like if you go out in your backyard well maybe not where you are well even when you are in the wintertime if you go out in your yard and you dig a six inch hole in the ground and you look at it with um a heat you know a heat sensing Mm -hmm camera or whatever you're going to see heat in the ground because there's because the earth naturally you know holds heat in the ground mm-hmm. 
Um, it's a basically a big hot pocket. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, if if the if the hole in the ground though has been exposed to the outside air for a long time, which at this point is over a day, right? It's a, it's a day later when they're doing this investigation. Um, then there should be no residual heat there left over from you know the creation of the hole. So yeah, wouldn't I mean even a meteor fragment in the middle of winter would yeah. would have dissipated its heat by this point unless right. it was so large. But if it was that large, oh, England would be gone. Well, I mean, well, I don't know if it'd be gone, but it would definitely have been noted in the recording or in the report that we found a huge chunk of rock that we couldn't explain. You know, I mean, it would have been right, and um, and uh, astronomers would have seen it as well. Right. Um, so, for the next five minutes or so, I'm going to play for you um, the rest of the tape, and I, I, you know what, I won't. Uh, I won't. I won't hint at anything. Spoil it. I won't spoil it. But uh, just just make sure you're listening and you and you don't skip ahead. It is looking directly overhead. One can see an opening in the trees, plus some freshly uh, broken pine branches on the ground underneath. Looks like someone came off about 15 to 20 feet up. Some small branches, about an inch or less in diameter. 148, we're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard animals. It's very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. Yes, yeah, it's a pigmentation. You just saw a light yeah, where? Sir. Wait, slow down. Where? Right at this position here, straight ahead, in between the tree. There it is again. Watch. Straight ahead off my flash right there, yeah, sir. Watch. There it is. Oh, yeah, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So, yeah, can I get some yeah, it's a strange, small red light. It looks to be out maybe a quarter to half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from back the site. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight, sir. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so we can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the barnyard animals have gotten quiet now. Yeah, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site. I'm through to the clearing now. Still getting a reading on the meter. About two clicks. Meter's jump three to four clicks. Getting stronger. Now it's uh, now it's coming up. Hold up. There we go. It's about approximately four foot off the ground. of 110 degrees. All right, just turn the meter off. Got to say that again. About four feet off the ground, about 110 degrees, getting a reading of about four clicks. Yes, sir. Yeah, but it's dying. No, it's dying. I think it's something other than the ground. I think it's something that's something variable here. tree right over. We just found the first night bird we've seen. We're about 150 or 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There's no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it, too. Weird. It, it, it appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow. It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. It'll last. Yeah, definitely. Two lights. Two lights. Okay. Keep the flashlights off. There's something very, very strange. Keep the headset on. See if it gets any stronger. Okay. Give us, give us a rundown. I that this is on a beta reading, too. It's on a beta reading? Okay. It still has been removed. Okay. This is a 
falling off it again. But it just moved to the right. Yeah. Off the right. Strange. Oh, well, why do you left? Let's, let's approach right. to the edge of the woods up there. Can you want to do a lot of lights? Let's do it carefully. Come on. Okay, we're looking at the thing. We're probably about two to three hundred yards away. It looks like an eye winking at you. It's still moving from side to side. And when you put the star scope on it, it, it sort, of, sort of has a hollow center, a dark center. It's, it's you know, like a pupil of an eye looking at you and winking. And the flash is so bright to the star scope that uh, it almost burns your eye. We forced the first farmer's house and across in the next field. Now we have multiple sightings of up to five lights with a similar shape and all, but they seem to be steady now rather than a pulsating or glow with a red flash. We just crossed the, the creek and uh, we're getting what kind of readings now? Getting through three good clicks on the meter and we're seeing strange lights in the sky. Uh, 244, we're at the far side of the farmer's second farmer's field and made sighting again about 110 degrees. This looks like it's clear out to the coast. It's right on the horizon. Moves about a bit and flashes from time to time. Still steady or red in color. Also, after negative readings in the center of the field, we're picking up the slight readings, uh, four or five clicks now on the meter. 3.05, we see strange uh, strobe-like flashes to the uh, rather sporadic, but there's definitely something to some kind of phenomenal. 305, at about uh, 10 degrees horizon, uh, directly north, we've got two strange objects, uh, half moon shape, dancing about with colored lights on them. But uh, guess to be about 5 to 10 miles out, maybe less. The half moons have now turned into full circles. As though there was an ellip eclipse or something there for a minute or two. 315, now we've got an object about 10 degrees directly south, 10 degrees off the horizon. And the ones in the north are moving, one's moving away from us. Moving out fast. Now they're both heading north. Hey, here, here he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. This is unreal. 330 and the objects are still in the sky, although the one to the south looks like it's losing a little bit of altitude. We're turning around and heading back toward uh, the base. The object, to the, the object to the south is still beaming down lights to the ground. Zero four hundred hours, one object still hovering over Woodbridge Base at about 5 to 10 degrees off the horizon, still moving erratic and similar lights and beaming down as earlier. And that's where it ends. <laughs> uh so the question is, is uh i don't know i don't even i don't know i can't imagine being those dudes man well i mean um the main skeptical view of uh, that's presented for what they were seeing was the lighthouse mm -hmm. that is several miles away and i and i feel look man i'm all about being skeptical we always need to right. be we should never rush into things quickly believing um but these guys were not noobs on on the space this is not the first time they were at the space mm -hmm. they knew that that lighthouse was there 
Uh, if it was something they could see from that area, they've been near that area. They would have known immediately that it right. was a lighthouse. Yeah. Um, that's that's plus, my, my opinion on that. Plus, um, I've seen, I don't know, five or six lighthouses Same. in the U.S. And, and maybe they're different in England, but most of them shine a white light. Mm-hmm. Or at the time, maybe more of like a an amber colored yeah, light. yellow light. But I don't think it would ever be confused with red. Yeah. Now, you know, I know that there's oftentimes at an airport, there might be, you know, a red, a red light and a white light that, that flashes around. But again, to your point, they're not new people. I mean, they're not, they've been in the area for a while, long enough to know what is a lighthouse and what is not. And then when they talk about it, you know, shooting pieces off of it, and then it kind of breaks up into five different lights off in the sky. And then, you know, one of them hovers over the Woodbridge base and shines a beam down. I mean, I just... (laughs) Right. And these guys are Air Force. So they're up in the air at night a lot of times. They would have seen these things that skeptics say are common occurrences yeah well and then you know i don't want to make sure that not everybody who's in the air force is up in the air but but the air force is i didn't say these guys but the air force is in the air right consistently and when this memo came out and all this stuff people have been like oh well you know i i do flights all the time i see that the lighthouse has a red light and it flashes all the time Right. That, so that hasn't that didn't happen. They have right. friends that fly. They would be like, did you I'm sure they were like, did you ever see any of this stuff happen? Did, did it, no, no, you never you don't see a consistent light beam shine down on Woodbridge. Right. Well, and, it, you know, and, it, and it's interesting there that he said, you know, it it stayed there for a while. I don't know if, don't know if you catch the if you caught the timestamps, but basically at like, oh, 300, um, it was over Woodbridge shining a light down. It was there again at 0330, and then it was there again at 0400. So at least for an hour, there's this craft hovering over Woodbridge, shining a light down. Right. Shine um, a light, shine a light. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know, I do want to take just a minute, though, and read uh, the official report that Charles Halt submitted um, to the Department of the Air Force. So the 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 famous memo there, yep. So Which is interesting, is the... yeah, because like he kept trying to report it, like that, right? <laughs> it was the right. thing, and everybody's like, eh. so <laughs> and here so we, go. He, we wrote a memo, <laughs> yeah. So he wrote this memo on 13 January 1981. So just you know, maybe what two weeks, two and a half weeks after, yeah. January 13th, 1981. Subject. Unexplained lights to the Royal Air Force. One. Early in the morning of December 27, 1980, two USAF security police patrolmen saw unusual lights outside the back gate at the RAF Woodbridge. Thinking an aircraft might have crashed or been forced down, they called for permission to go outside the gate to investigate. The on-duty flight chief responded and allowed three patrolmen to proceed on foot. The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. 
The object was described as being metallic in appearance and triangular in shape. Approximately two to three meters across the base and approximately two meters high. It illuminated the entire forest with a white light. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and a bank of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate. 2. The next day, three impressions, one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter, were found where the object had been sighted on the ground. The following night, December 29, 1980, the area was checked for radiation. Beta and gamma readings of 0.1 millirentgens were recorded with peak readings in the three depressions and near the center of the triangle formed by the depressions. A nearby tree had moderate 0.05 to 0.07 readings on the side of the tree toward the depressions. 3. Later in the night, a red, sun-like light was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and then broke into five separate white objects and then disappeared. Immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky. Two objects to the north and one to the south, all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp angular movements and displayed red, green, and blue lights. The objects to the north appeared to be elliptical through an 8 to 12 power lens. They then turned to full circles. The objects to the north remained in the sky for an hour or more. The object to the south was visible for two or three hours and beamed down a stream of light from time to time. Numerous individuals, including the undersigned, witnessed the activities in paragraphs two and three. Charles I. Holt, Lieutenant Colonel, United States Air Force, Deputy Base Commander. So, yeah, that's the infamous memo. And to your uh, previous comment, you're right. I mean, I don't think if that memo had not been filed, uh, this would have never materialized. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, well, not we, as in the royal we, um, but we as a people, uh, this was discovered uh, through um, one of the, um, oh my God, my brain just died. The uh, U.S. Freedom of Information Act. You know, yeah. that's that's how this was discovered. Um, and, you know, a lot of skeptics will say, hey, Halt's dates are crazy. Uh, there's some different things. Well, he wrote this two weeks after the fact you know like dates and times and things like that and and he was being rushed because he was trying to figure out a way to get this reported yeah. uh and there was just a general that was like i don't know write a memo and uh <laughs> like kind of uh it's kind of like a side thing to kind of get him off his case so halt did indeed write the memo and that's kind of how it it started to you know get the um 
uh, 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 light shined upon it. <laughs> Shine the light on. <laughs> right. Anyways, um, so to date, or, or so far in our presentation, I have not spoken about much about Sergeant Jim Peniston, right. who was one of the individuals who was out on site. Um, and that's really because I wanted to save a lot of Jim stuff uh, for the end because it's um, interesting, to say the least. So uh, Sergeant Jim Peniston was one of the individuals who was on site uh, the first evening. He was one of the patrolmen uh, that went out to investigate uh, the you know landing site, whatever, mm-hmm. did see the craft. Um, but he takes it uh, one step farther. And in his account, um, he said that uh, he actually touched the craft. Yeah. And um, I've got a little excerpt here from um, uh, Nick Pope's uh, book on the topic, the uh, incident in Rendlesham. Um, and I want to le- I want to read a little bit of that uh, here from uh, the book, um, as re- as reported or. Reference from Jim. As I move along the left side of the craft, I see what appears to be symbols of some kind, which were coming into view as I move closer. My heart is beating as if it would jump out of my chest as I write down what I am observing. I am shaking. It is beyond control, and I cannot stop the shaking. I stretch my hand out and close it into a fist, trying to regain steadiness. It seemed to help a little as I looked down the side of the craft. I, I see the inscription is like nothing I have ever seen before. No aircraft marking or no writing that I can identify. I am in an immense feeling of being overwhelmed, stacked with a feeling of total disbelief. After quickly drawing the glyphs down in my notebook, I was ready for a second go-around of this craft of unknown origin. So I put my notebook back in my pocket and initiated the second walk-around in a 360 motion. More concentrating on the detail of the craft and the fact that it seems to be defying gravity by the absence of observation of landing gear, or at least landing gear as I have known it to be. As I walked down the right side of the craft, I realized that I was still intact and not harmed. I was making small moves of assessment, noting that no sign of of threat or aggression was apparent at this point. I figured if I was to die, it would have been, it would have happened at this point. A small feeling of relief enveloped me. So I decided to take it a step further. I decided to touch the outer skin of the craft. Or maybe I was compelled to do that. It was never clear to me. As I ever so slowly walked or shuffled, I took my hand and touched the craft momentarily. Then I started to shuffle along while taking my hands and running them along the side of the craft, one hand over the other as I moved around it. After almost a complete circle, I came back to the symbols or glyphs, if you will, running my left hand from the smooth fabric to, the, to a coarse sandpaper feel of the glyphs, slowly feeling and tracing with my hand, these pictorials. I run the bottom of the glyphs, which measured about three feet long and a handprint high in height, was the first one I touched, then I traced my fingertips on, and then on to the next, and so on. 
I left not touching the large one till last. It seemed like this was by design. I was curious, but I felt this was the key to the craft. I took my fingers and ran them slowly around the outer circle of the craft. Then I took my fingers off and hesitated while making a closed hand. And then I opened my hand and flatly pressed the palm of my hand on the large triangle. What was to happen next defies reality. For I was no longer to see. What I was seeing in what I will call the mind's eye was bright and steady, brilliant light. I was squinting. Then the stream of ones and zeros ran relentlessly as I was unable to see my surroundings. I was scared, though I seemed to understand it was not harmful but required. I am not sure how long this took place, this bright light with flashing of these ones and zeros. Seconds or minutes, it seemed like a brief moment. I finally released my hand from the craft. The ones and zeros stopped. Seeing no damage, I was going to do that again. No need to have a physical contact again with the craft. Scary and unreal it all was. I started to see the craft generating color through the fabric of the craft again. It started to become bright again and began moving through the trees and then hovered at the top of the trees. And with a flash and a blink of an eye, it was gone. I hear movement to my right. It's John. I'm wondering where he had come from and where he was during this encounter. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm familiar with that, but it still shakes me. Yeah. Still, I, I'm hugging my blanket right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the... I mean, what would you do if you if you were in the woods and you came across a craft that you then recognized? Would you go up? And, I would push you in front of me and feel. Like, let's say you're by yourself. Oh, if I'm by myself, I don't know, man. Like I get scared really easy, but like I'm curious. Curiosity, too. yeah. <laughs> I feel like I would I would want to touch it too. Like I mean, yeah, especially if I don't see any creature or anything like. Uh, I'm gonna nothing that it. can nothing that can physically harm you. You'd, you'd think you would, you know, feel so relatively safe and go ahead and take the leap. Yep. And then I would run. <laughs> I would smack it and run, like <laughs> essentially what I would do. But yeah, and it's interesting, you know, him getting not only the glyphs, which are really interesting, and I believe yeah. you can find uh, yeah, you can find the of drawings them. of them. Yeah. Um, but the binary code comes into play. You know, yeah. which is where skeptics really dig in here because he didn't really share the binary code till like 30 years later, but um, yeah. he had it written down uh, so, from years before. You know what I find really interesting? You, you know, we talked about um, Stephen Greer uh, put together his, you know, press club uh, UFO briefing mm-hmm. uh, many years ago. That was kind of his foray into the ufo world and in you know whether or not people agree with you know where he is now at that point in time the panel of people that he put together to present uh was amazing oh he was a progenitor of disclosure for sure yeah i mean without that well, instance we wouldn't be where we're at colonel halt and jim peniston were of or were members of that panel that presented mm-hmm. that day with greer so um you know nick pope if you uh go to the basement uh, episodes uh, on Runners from Forest. You know, Nick Pope talks about, you know, his his um, 
impression of Jim Penniston is, is nothing but honest. Um, in, in no, in, in his words, not seeking fame in any way, shape or form. Um, so, you know, I, I it really boils down to you. What do you choose to believe? Um, but I do have here, uh, again, in Nick, in Nick Pope's book, uh, on the topic, um, so previously six pages of the binary numbers were made available mm-hmm. uh, from Jim for Nick Pope's book. All 38 pages were made available. Wow. Um, and they actually worked with some uh, specialists and translated the binary code into what the results were. And so I'm just going to read through um, what they were. So you've got exploration of humanity, six, 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 eighty one hundred. So there you go, Steph, and that's why I picked 666. Okay, I thought you was just, just starting to listen to Ghost <laughs> or something now. Um, they Then the next line is uh, some uh, coordinates, GPS coordinates, for an island off the coast of uh, the UK that is at present no longer there, but on some older maps, uh, some older world, you know, world geographical mm-hmm. maps does exist. Atlantis. Um, <laughs> There is uh, a line that says continuous for planetary at ban. Then it kind of cuts off. Um, and then another grouping of coordinates uh, for Caracol, Belize, Sedona, Arizona. Um, the <laughs> Sedona just never stops showing up. <laughs> uh, the Great Pyramid in Giza, uh, the Nazca lines in Peru. I'm going to butcher this name, Tai Shanku in China, uh, Portal at Temple of Apollo in Greece. Then it says uh, eyes for your eyes. Then it gives the origin of that island that's off the coast of the UK that no longer exists. And then it says origin year 8100. Um, it's interesting here that this origin year 8100 everybody assumes or from this they take and they go the time traveler route right this is where the you know kind of far off uh theories start to come in with you know this is a time traveler from 80 the year 8100 so on and so forth yeah um but i would uh maybe propose that we, we may not be looking at 8100 ad since there's no we we took it to ad it could be 8100, what we would consider BC, or some other calendar that we're not tracking. Well, I mean, even then, if you follow along those lines, you know, we talk about this island being no longer there, but is on old world maps. It would have been there in 8100 BC. Yep. So, and there's often talks, you know, we, we you and I have talked a lot about in Santosh and others around, you know, the whole idea of, you know, this, the, the history of Atlantis and Lemuria and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, was there once an ancient Admiral bird flying through the poles, (laughs) you know, that lived on earth or still does even. Um, And, you know, so, yeah, I just, it's really interesting to me that uh, people would take this and go immediately to time travelers from the future and not necessarily time travelers from the past. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's because when you think of the past, you think of, less our past right right you think of less technological right you so. know so that that is a big reason why yeah um and it's really interesting 
um, the amount of <laughs> podcasts and blogs and books that are out there from skeptics on this as opposed to believers. Um, it, it's amazing to me um, that there is groups of people out there that have societies called skeptic societies where w- what they do is get together to debunk things. Um, that's just but crazy that's not, to me. To me, that's not skeptics. That's like, I refuse to, in my opinion, a skeptic is someone who um, looks for evidence for or against whatever the the theory or the idea is. Mm-hmm. A lot of these societies are people who are biasedly against whatever it is. Yeah. Anything. And they're only looking for evidence that disproves it. Yeah, which we've talked about a thousand yeah. times. Um, yeah. You know, the same can work on the side of proving things. You know, it's true. A, a skeptic yeah. can very much say, well, there was a lighthouse three miles away. Therefore, it debunks it because it could have been the lighthouse. And so they can easily debunk something paranormal by saying something could have been. Uh, but on the positive side of things, we could say, well, uh, it could have been an unidentified flying right. object, but that doesn't count because we need hard facts. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, those are the skeptics I have issues yeah. with when there's no hard facts to back up their skepticism, but they require hard facts to uh, back up the front side of things. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a uh, totally blanked on what I was going to call it. But anyways, yeah, it's definitely a problem. Let's call it a problem. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, that's uh, pretty much my presentation for uh, the Rendlesham incident. And again, kind of going back to um, the information that I gave before we dove into it around the history of the area, the possibility that the United States Air Force may have been storing nuclear weapons on site, the ramp up uh, or, you know, from the CIA report, the potential ramp up of Soviet uh, invasion and the idea it was the, that, yeah it was 1980 so yeah, and the idea that so many of these uh sightings and interests were at our nuclear facilities already you know with other reports uh really makes you wonder if this was some sort of a deterrent or even just a hey look at you need to look at this site you know hey british intelligence you need to look at what's going on over here you know there might be some problems going on or whatever so yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. There's a lot that's out there. I mean, even in 2010, you know, Holt signed an affidavit uh, by both the UK and the US doubling down basically on his information. I mean, he is hardcore, stayed with this. Nobody, Uh, you know, of the original John Burroughs, Jim Peniston and Holt, I mean, none of them have backed down from their statements. Nobody has reversed anything they've said. You know, people always criticize Pittiston because it took him 30 plus years to come out and make an official statement. Mm -hmm. Although if you listen to Jim, Jim would tell you that uh, when he went back to the base, he wrote out four pages. Yep. And then somebody else typed up a summary of events that was like two paragraphs and said, this is what you're going to say. Yep. And we hear that very commonly happen quite 
a bit. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, well, popular enough in 2005, the Forestry Commission used lottery proceeds to create a trail in Rendlesham Forest uh, due to the public interest and nicknamed it the UFO Trail. Uh, so you can actually go out there and kind of follow along those lines and see where everything is at. So, yep. um, again, this is a huge case. It is. And it is something that is still actively being investigated and pursued. Um, you know, our guys are still out there. They're still talking and and doubling down on this and there's a lot more people that continue to come out about it you know like uh, you're you're constantly finding uh you know people that just happen to be on base saying yeah i saw that beam of light or um different things like that um if you do want a skeptic's view on things i highly recommend season two of strange arrivals um he does a very good job of reporting on what happened while carrying a very skeptical side of things but still very interesting um it's like the first three or four episodes of season two they talk about rendlesham it's pretty interesting um but yeah really really just fascinating story that oh, yeah. uh, like i said is, is still being looked at uh, today because so many people are still alive uh, that were there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. And um, and Jim, you know, Jim will uh, talk to just about anybody who, you know, asks him about it. So, um, you know, you might uh, you might see a you know a part two of this episode in in the coming months uh, where we get the chance to talk to Jim about his account and what he witnessed. So yep. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you, Josh, for incredible research. I know you've been working on that all month, um, and just uh, like I said, YouTube. There's just so much information out there. Yeah, uh, so much great. Nick Pope, of course, what a great author. So he's got some really great information on this. Get out there, check this um, stuff out. And I will say that Jim also wrote his own book. It's called The Rendlesham Enigma, Book One Timeline, and uh, you know a lot of this. I mean. You know, he he is directly quoted in Nick Pope's book, but of course, he has got some additional detail in his own book, and both books are a really good read. I, I highly recommend them. Yeah, definitely. I know I'm going to check it out. And saying book one implies there's going to be a book two. So, uh, Jim, I, I hope if you're listening and we get a chance to talk to you, I'm going to be asking you about book two. <laughs> so be ready. Yeah, for and that. and um, if you have if you're Kindle Unlimited uh, people. Um, Jim's book is available for free as a part of Kindle Unlimited. Ooh, so. nice. Good to know. All right, Josh. Well, let's go ahead and get moving on. We got to get out of here. This was our double-sized season premiere uh, episode. Uh, but I do want to start to wrap things up. And I want to uh, go ahead and move to our final segment of the week, which is the encounter from the Fearscape. All right, our encounter for the Fearscape, for encounters from the Fearscape, uh, comes from uh, a really awesome dude, man. Like I've been chatting with this guy quite a bit. Uh, he's you know slowly becoming a friend, uh, big time listener. Uh, John Matthews from Manchester in the UK, in the United Kingdom. There, so it's one of the reasons I picked this since we're talking about uh, a British event. I wanted to bring in John's here, uh, but he sent me uh, an encounter from the Fearscape here, his listener story, uh, and it's it's pretty cool so uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to that 
I work as an engineer during the day. So, quite logically, I'm a problem solver, grounded and down to earth. I clean a doctor's surgery in the evenings uh, to get extra money to try and get out of debt. And I'm quite OCD in my routines and procedures. I like to have things in their place so I know where everything is when I need it. I keep my upstairs cleaning things in the kitchen. I like the toilet cleaner, the multi-service cleaner, cloths, etc. All in their own place. And when I'm done, they go back again. Well, I took the toilet cleaner into the shower room. I put some toilet cleaner down the toilet, then put the bottle on the floor while I took the mop handles from the shower and put new mop heads on, which they were kept in the shower room in a large bag. I turned around to pick up the toilet cleaner and couldn't find it. I looked all around, on the radiator, the floor, the shelf, even in the shower. Nothing. I couldn't find it. I went back into the kitchen, and there it was, on top of the kitchen units. There's no one else in the surgery other than one doctor downstairs, so no one had sneaked around and moved it. Even if I'd had a brain fart or something and moved it without remembering, which, why would I do that in the middle of putting on mop heads? I would have put it in the cupboard rather than on the top. The thought of leaving it randomly on the top and out of place just isn't right. So there's a second story. Same surgery during the summer months. I was carrying the bin bag from room to room to empty the bins. The door to room eight was closed, but I could see under the door that someone was moving about. So the signs tapped on the door to see if it was okay to go in. There was no answer. So I tapped again. Again, no answer. So I tried the handle, but it was locked, and I went ahead and unlocked the door. There was nobody in there. The room was completely empty. And the surgery, by the way, is in Stockport near Manchester in the UK, uh, if I didn't already say that. Anyway, have a great day, and thank you for all the podcasts there. Ace, guys. Wow, those are some amazing stories. Yeah, and uh, I, I even believe just chatting with him, he's even got some more fun stories like that. Uh, but thank you so much, John. Not not only for you know sending in the story, but for just being such an amazing listener. Uh, yeah. I, I always love your feedback when you send me stuff and stuff that you've found that you found interesting that we talked about. I, I very much enjoy that, and that goes to anybody uh, that's yeah. out there. You guys can reach us, you know, uh, on our own personal twitters and things like that at Improv Is Law and at Spoctology. Is that correct? No, <laughs> just kidding. At uh, liberate underscore consciousness. That's right. You and you can find those on our Fearscape yeah. Twitter <laughs> um, and things like that. But yeah, reach out to us there or on Facebook or, or anything like that. You know, if we've got time, we'll love to chat. Fearscape nope. podcast at gmail.com as well. You can send in yep. your listener stories or encounters or just say hi. Now, what I really want to know um, is there there was an absence of uh, colloquialisms in that story did 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 he write it for us americans 
I believe so. (laughs) (laughs) I think he knew. He's like, well, Stefan's going to be reading this. He probably can't handle it. And if Josh is going to read it, it's a (laughs) no-go. So, um, but no, I mean, there's a little bits here and there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, definitely uh, made that a little easy for me to uh, handle. (laughs) So, um, So, yeah, but no, it was a great, you know, they were great out. I love the uh, the random, you know, missing toilet cleaner. Um, if only there was a spirit who'd be willing to clean my bathroom. I know. Be- <laughs> Instead of moving things, just go yeah. ahead and clean. Uh, and John, <laughs> that would make it. your job to get out of yeah, debt right. even easier. So you can just <laughs> hang back and listen to more Fearscape. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but again, send those listener stories to us. Uh, we want your encounters. Submit a sighting on the website. Whatever you got to do, get those to us, even if they're short, even if they're two sentences long. We love them. We want to share them because uh, you're not alone. You are not alone. Um, we have our experiences, as do many of our listeners. Uh, yep. But, Josh, we're going to go ahead and get out of here, my brother. Don't forget to be on the lookout, y'all, for the debriefs, tech talk, astral stews coming the January 2022 episode is going to be dropping um and keep your eyes open for everything fearscape man fearscape media network uh lance and i just dropped um we're getting ready to drop our uh hit list for 2021 of our top five favorite horror things of 2021 and boy him and i have completely different lists this year (laughs) so uh that's going to be interesting and fun and like i said we have a lot of just new things that are going to be happening this year as well as all the other podcasts on the network and shows and everything uh bourbon spirits should be coming out you know in the coming months um on youtube i'm so excited yeah i'm so excited for that so uh but yeah keep your eyes on our youtube page and fearscape media and fearscapepodcast.com uh josh you got anything else you want to share with the folks before we rock and roll no, I, I think that's about wrapped it. I mean, I think we're pushing two hours at this point. So these people want to go to sleep. I don't. I want to stay here forever. Uh, <laughs> but I don't. I got to edit. And that's always fun. Uh, but anyways, love you guys so much. Always go to fearscapepodcast.com for uh, all the information and all the funsies. And uh, again, this has been Fearscape Paranormal here at the Fearscape Media Network. This has been Stefan. And just a reminder to keep your eyes on the skies. This has been Josh. The truth is now. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.